Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast has been brought to you by Paleo Valley. They are one of my favorite companies because their products are super pure, full of incredible ingredients. And I want to tell you about their meat sticks. They have 100% grass-fed beef, pasture-raised turkey meat sticks that my family and I love. My kids love these because they have tons of flavor, they're completely free of carbs and sugar, and they have probiotics in them as well. So they're great for your gut, great for supporting your appetite, your satiety levels. They help you uh, feel satiated, and they help you burn fat for fuel. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, GMO-free, and preservative-free. So they are the top of the line. They've got some great flavors that you will absolutely love. And now you can use my coupon code, Jockers, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter Jockers at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. I mean, my kids love these, my family loves these, and I know you will as well. So try them out, Paleo Valley, and I know you're going to love them. This podcast is an audio recording of one of my most popular YouTube videos on uric acid. Uric acid, you can actually test on blood work, for example, and it is a key marker to really help you understand your disease risk. I'm going to go through how high uric acid is associated with issues with cognitive function, right? Like cognitive decline and dementia. It can also be associated with obviously issues with your kidneys, issues with gout, right? Which is, you know, the most well-known uh, disease associated with uric acid, but also plays a role in your cardio and metabolic health. And so you're going to understand symptoms that are associated with higher uric acid. You're also going to understand uh, the problem with too low uric acid and what that could indicate in your body. So I'm going to go through some functional lab analysis with this. You guys are going to get a lot out of this podcast. And if you know anybody that's dealing with gout, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, insulin resistance, definitely share this podcast with them so they can understand how important it is to get uric acid levels in balance and the problem with high or low uric acid you know, I also, of course, talk about things that raise up uric acid, things that uh, you may want to consider avoiding if you are already have high uric acid levels. And I'm going to go through the optimal range for uric acid. So you guys are going to love this. And if you haven't left us a review, now's the time to do that. Five-star review, guys. That helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our community. And let's go into the show. Well, today we're talking about uric acid and how it's a key player in cardiovascular, brain, and metabolic diseases. And so when we think about uric acid, it is a natural waste product of purine metabolism that develops through cell breakdown and through purines, fructose, or alcohol in our diet. So 
when our cells break down, they have these purine bases, adenine and guanine, which are you know part of our DNA. And so these purines, we also find in our diet, right? When we're consuming foods that are higher in purines, like for example, um, organ meats, where a lot of them are, are healthy foods, different meats um, can be high in purines. Um, of course, alcohol also increases purines and then fructose as well. And we'll talk more about fructose metabolism as we go on, but these purine bases are metabolized in the body. And so they're, again, they're just, you know, we, we obviously can get them from our diet, but also they're just going to be going to be part of our normal metabolism because cells break down and they turn into hypo hypoxanthine or, and then there's an enzyme called xanthine oxidase, which converts them into xanthine and then eventually into uric acid. High levels of uric acid in the blood is called hyperuricemia, and it's a risk factor for gout. That's the main disease people think about with uric acid, but also it impacts many other metabolic and inflammatory diseases. About 30 to 35% of your uric acid is excreted in the intestines through the feces. So you should be eliminating it. It's constantly being made, but we should be eliminating it effectively. About 65 to 70% of the uric acid is excreted through the kidneys in urine. And so top conditions that are associated with high uric acid levels, gout, of course, is what we think about, or you have the swelling of that big toe, particularly um, diabetes though, fatty liver disease, hypertension, cognitive decline, kidney disease, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, and PCOS. Those are the most common conditions that we see with hyperuricemia or high uric acid levels. So we got to ask ourselves, why would the uric acid level be high? And when it is high, it's, it is a causing, it's driving up reactive oxygen species and it's turning on what we call the inflammasome, which is kind of this, this inflammation amplifier, this vicious cycle of amplifying inflammation in the cells and the tissues of the body. So when we think about gout, you know, four to 6% of the population suffers from this. And there's some genetic components that are associated with it. The most common joints where the uric acid forms crystals that become very, very uncomfortable and inflamed are your big toe joint. That's definitely the most common, but it can also affect your knees, your ankles, your fingers, right? So all those different areas, main symptoms, temperature increase. So it's like, it gets really hot. Uh, inflammation and redness, and then severe pain, especially at night, which makes it really uncomfortable because you're trying to sleep, right? Um, and, and this is what a lot of people deal with when they're dealing with gout. Now, main causes, the kidneys are unable to excrete enough of the uric acid through urine. And there's several reasons for that. Um, most of the time, people that have gout are oftentimes living sedentary lifestyle. They're, they're oftentimes very obese, and they're consuming a lot of sugar, fructose in particular, high carb diets, and they consume a lot of alcohol as well. And so the amount of purines in your diet by reducing those can be beneficial for people that have a genetic predisposition for gout. However, that's not really the main cause. You know, all of us are going to be consuming purines in our diet, but really a things that are going to, are going to reduce your ability to excrete uric acid is going to be a high sugar, high carb diet. Um, it's going to be high alcohol, high fructose, things like that. And in the medical system, they're going to treat it with anti-inflammatory medications. In natural health, we look at things like vitamin C, quercetin, um, tart cherry is can be really effective. That's got anthocyanins in it. 
uh, different bioflavonoids like anthocyanins, quercetin, rutin, a lot of the citrus bioflavonoids can be really, really helpful. Um, proteolytic enzymes can also be really helpful because they're going to break down circulating proteins and inflammatory compounds that are associated with the hyperuricemia as well. So kind of preventing the buildup of these uric acid crystals and the inflammation in these joints. Now, the stages of gout progression, first stage is just high uric acid levels in the blood. And so that starts to form crystals around the joints. That's kind of how the body uh, you know, deals with the uric acid. Is it just kind of, for whatever reason, shoves it into different joints that, and then crystals connect to it, has an affinity for them. And again, it most often affects this big toe, right? Um, and we don't fully understand why, but you know, for some people, again, it gets their knees, um, their hands, right? So different joints, it can affect. Um, acute gout is stage two. Symptoms start to occur, causing a painful gout attack. And then stage three is what we call inner, inner critical gout, where, where you have periods of remission between gout attacks. So a lot of times people will have weeks without it, and then all of a sudden they'll get a really, really bad and then it can get to the point where you have stage four, where it's just pretty much all the time, the joints are really disfigured and, um, uh, and malformed because of the amount of inflammation that's damaged these joints. And so the, the actual toe can, can be sticking out in the wrong direction. There can be a lot of deformity that takes place. Now, when we look at optimal uric acid levels, the clinical range, when you run a lab, you're going to see the clinical range. That's not the functional or optimal range just a clinical range. And they're looking at 2.6 to 7.6 milligrams per deciliter. And so to be diagnosed with hyperuricemia, the level wants to be over 7.6 milligrams per deciliter. However, functional practitioners like myself believe the optimal range for uric acid is under 5.5 milligrams per deciliter. In fact, functional range is really about three to 5.5. Most commonly, if we're seeing issues with uric acids, because it's high, right? It's not uncommon to see people with six, 6.5, you know, where it's over the functional range, but not over the clinical range, not flagged on the lab, but we see that all the time. And it's associated with many different metabolic diseases, fatty liver disease, um, insulin resistance, obesity, overweight, you know, people that are overweight oftentimes have this, we see that often, but a low uric acid level, which is much more rare, but if we see it under three, it may be a sign of poor liver sulfation processes. And sulfation is a key part of phase two liver detox. And a low uric acid level, again, under three, can also be a sign of a molybdenum deficiency, which molybdenum is a key trace mineral that's associated with the sulfation process in phase two liver detoxification of conjugating toxins through sulfation. So- just a good thing for clinicians to look out for. You know, some people do have this issue where they're molybdenum deficient and they have poor functioning liver sulfation processes. And so they may have low uric acid levels. A great book that goes through a lot of this is written by my friend, Dr. David Perlmutter, and it's called Drop Acid. And a really good book to, to check out. It's a surprising new science of uric acid, the key to losing weight controlling blood sugar and achieving extraordinary health. And one of the big things he talks about in there, and this is something that we've found in science is that high amounts of fructose. He used to blame it all on purines and eating too many purines. And we'll talk about that because that can be helpful if somebody has hyperuricemia, at least for a period of time, uh, reducing purine content in the diet. However, probably the most important things to reduce are alcohol 
and then fructose, right? Fructose drives up uric acid levels. We know it impacts metabolic syndrome. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, male, males more often than females develop gout, but high fructose content in the diet is one of the biggest risk factors for gout. A lot of people that deal with gout are drinking, you know, soda or soft drinks with high fructose corn syrup. They're consuming a lot of things with high fructose corn syrup, which really causes the issue here. So we have to look at that. And fructose is different than other types of sugar, like glucose. Uh, sucrose is a combination of glucose and fructose, but you know, your typical glucose goes right into the cells, right? With the help of insulin, gets it right into the cells where it can be used as energy or stored as stored energy in the form of glycogen, whereas fructose needs to be metabolized by the liver. And so when we, when we have fructose, normally the liver is metabolizing it, breaking it down and uh, turning it into glucose. However, if we are bombarded with high amounts of fructose, right? Like a high fructose load, then we're not going to have enough energy to break down that fructose. It's very energy dependent in the liver. So we end up with a byproduct. We end up using uh, less, you know, we have less than adequate ATP to metabolize it. So we end up with uric acid and uric acid ends up causing stress on our mitochondria. It ends up creating reactive oxygen species, which turn up inflammation, which increase the risk of you know, non-alcoholic uh, fatty liver disease and, um, and issues like that. And so when we have inflammation in and affecting the liver, we're going to get more fat deposits there. We're going to have more lipogenesis because of the stress on the mitochondria. And so we're going to cause a lot of different issues. And uric acid will cause more um, inflammation, reactive oxygen species in the blood, which can drive up um, adipose tissue formation. Which can which can cause more insulin resistance, and so there's a whole you know cascade of effects that take place when we're forming high levels of uric acid, and so high fructose corn syrup is really the number one thing in our diets that will drive up uric acid. So number one thing that we need to be concerned about immediately. Obviously, alcohol is is certainly a concern if you're drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, you know, you should definitely be testing your uric acid levels, and obviously you know, trying to do your best to reduce the amount of alcohol, but high fructose corn syrup is something that's hidden in a lot of different foods. And we know that it raises triglycerides, increases dangerous visceral fat, drives up inflammation, impairs brain function, increases uric acid levels, causes insulin resistance, blood pressure issues, and risk of fatty liver disease. So is it, it's a huge factor. It's definitely something you want to avoid as much as possible is this kind of syrup that's formed. And the reason why they, they do that, the reason why food processing companies have made high fructose corn syrup is because it's very low cost and it's got a liquid nature that makes it really easy to use, very easy to use in soft drinks and processed foods. And our government subsidizes the corn, right? So our government pays farmers to grow corn. And then we grow the corn and we have all this excess corn and we can turn it into this corn syrup that, uh, you know, again, because the government has paid for it already, farmers can sell the corn syrup to manufacturers really, really cheap. Okay. So they, so the price on that is really low. And so it's a great sugar alternative for them from a, you know, a cost uh, analysis, right. From a, a, a cost expense analysis. However, it's causing a lot of problems with our health. So we definitely want to avoid this stuff. 
I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to let you know that if you were a coffee drinker, I have some critical information you need to know. You see, coffee is the number one source of antioxidants people are consuming all around the world. It's rich in chlorogenic and caffeic acid, which are polyphenols that stabilize your blood sugar, support gut health and improve your brain. And they also stimulate autophagy and deep cellular healing. So coffee has many amazing health benefits, but there's a dark side to coffee. It often carries mold, dangerous mycotoxins, and is heavily sprayed with pesticides that lead to chronic disease. It's also acidic, causing stomach issues, and many have to stop drinking coffee as they get older because it irritates their stomach lining. That's why I started drinking Life Boost Coffee. I wanted something that had all the health benefits with none of the mold and chemicals found in regular coffee. Plus, it's a shade-grown coffee, which is naturally a low-acid coffee that doesn't hurt my stomach. And they have hundreds of testimonials of people who couldn't stomach traditional coffee who can now enjoy coffee on a daily basis without any digestive discomfort. They also third-party test for 450-plus toxins, including mycotoxins, molds, heavy metals, pesticides, and even glyphosate, just to make sure it's the cleanest, healthiest cup they can provide to their customers. I also really like these guys because they build schools for their farmers' children near the coffee farms where they harvest their, their coffee beans. And their corporate sponsors are the Rainforest Trust to prevent deforestation and protect wildlife. They really care about the environment. And because you're listening to my podcast right now, you can get 50% off your first order by going to www.lifeboostdeal.com com. That's lifeboostdeal.com. They are, again, shade-grown, low acid, clean and free of toxins, and they taste amazing. Just go to lifeboostdeal.com to get 50% off now. Low purine diet. So again, if you have gout, if you have hyperuricemia, right, up over, you know, 5.5, okay, you may want to reduce some high purine foods for, for a period of time. I don't think this is something you need to do all the time unless you really have this genetic risk, right? People that have really suffered from, from uh, gout, you know, for, for a period of time may need to, uh, you know, for the most part, stay with low or moderate purine foods. But most people, as they get rid of the fructose and the alcohol, can consume some of these high purine foods. But for an elimination, you would want to reduce your amount of or eliminate organ meats, shellfish, anchovies, sardines. We already talked about alcohol and then bullion cubes. Those are the higher purine foods. Your moderate purine foods are going to be really all of your meat. Okay. Most fish, red meat, chicken, turkey, duck, beans, legumes, whole grains, oats, asparagus, spinach, mushroom, cauliflower, peas, corn, and strawberries. Okay. And then the low purine foods, most of that is vegetables. Most fruit, we did mention strawberries, right? So pretty much all your fruit except for strawberries are good on a low purine diet. You can do nuts and seeds, right? So you can do those and um, you can do eggs, right? So it's kind of like a, a lacto and, and dairy products are good. So it's like a lacto ovo uh, vegetarian diet more or less. And then you also reduce your amount of mushrooms, spinach, asparagus, cauliflower, peas, corn, beans, and legumes, right? So you would reduce that as well because those are moderate purine foods, right? But you can eat a lot of vegetables, most fruit, dairy products, 
nuts and seeds and eggs, right? And then what I tell people to do is if you're on a low purine diet, you want to limit the amount of moderate purine foods to no more than three to four servings per week. So if you're on a low purine diet, right, and you want to have a steak, right, have it, but, you know, limit that to three to four servings per week. Okay, fish, you know, so if you want to rotate in some different proteins or if you want to have, you know, a spinach salad or whatever it is, um, limit it to three to four servings per week. Okay, so for somebody with genetic hyperuricemia, um, sticking more on that low purine food diet is really good. But again, that's a small percentage of people, four to six percent of the population. For most people, um, you're fine with higher purine foods if you just get rid of the fructose, reduce your alcohol, you know, consume alcohol in, in moderation. Shouldn't be drinking alcohol every day, maybe once a week, once or twice a week in small amounts, like a cup of glass of wine, right? Um, mm -hmm. As opposed to, you know, drinking a whole bunch and, and certainly not doing it every day. And you're going to be a lot better off doing that. And for most people, that that can that can really be enough, okay? And so that can be really really helpful. Um, and then you know making sure that we're not cooking with uh, processed vegetable oils. I think that's another big thing. So when you're cooking, really understanding the oxidative stability of any sort of cooking oil that you're consuming. So the best cooking oils to consume because any sort of um, you know, damaged oil is going to drive up reactive, reactive oxygen species in your system and drive up inflammation. And that's going to lead to high, you know, again, more uric acid formation. So vegetable oils can also be a big problem, um, too much vegetable oils. So the only oils you should be cooking with would be high quality extra virgin olive oil or coconut oil or grass fed butter. Okay. Really olive oil, I'm sorry, avocado oil. A lot of people think that's good because of the high smoke point but it's not, right? It's actually got a low uh, oxidative stability, only a 10 hour oxidative stability, very low antioxidant content. It's actually not a good oil to cook with. Now, avocados themselves are great foods to eat, but I really don't recommend using much avocado oil in general. I think you can get all your needs met with a really high quality, high polyphenol extra virgin olive oil, as well as coconut oil, grass-fed butter, um, you know, those kinds of oils you're, you're going to do great with. Uh, so just really olive oil is kind of my main oil that I use and then coconut oil as well. Um, so those are great. Now, other things we want to do, make sure that we're moving, moving our body is going to really help our, our overall metabolism, right? It's going to help with insulin sensitivity, uh, reducing circulating blood glucose levels and improving our muscle uptake, right? Moving and exercise, high intensity exercise, getting some strength training, increasing, our muscle mass is going to, you know, muscle is, is kind of like muscle will uptake the sugar out of our blood. Right. And so it's like a storage area for the sugar. And so it's going to help get sugar out of the bloodstream. So we don't have, um, you know, we don't develop hyperglycemia and we don't develop insulin resistance. So it really helps pull it out and moving in general, improves circulation, stimulates lymphatic drainage, enhances tissue oxygenation, helps balance key brain neurotransmitters. So your, your, uh, your, your serotonin, your dopamine levels, so you feel good, right? You have a really good, healthy mood. You're driven, you're goal-oriented. You're ready to be able to focus and concentrate. Movement in general, getting out and walking really helps with that, improves mood and happiness, enhances mental clarity and memory. But making sure you're also exercising. Like, so this morning I went out for a walk. So I like to get out for a walk in the morning, um, get some morning sunlight. That's really good for my circadian rhythm. 
But then around midday, I work out with weights, right? So I do strength training around midday. And then a lot of times in the evenings, I'm playing with my kids. So I try to get movement throughout the day, right? But really, probably the most important parts times are the morning and the middle of the day. So either do your strength training in the morning or do it around the middle of the day. Those are really the best times of the day to do it. And um, whatever time you're not getting the strength training, go out for a walk, get some, some level of movement in. So it might be in the morning, might be around midday. So if you work out in the morning, get a lunchtime stroll, right? Go out for a walk and that will really help uh, your body just deal with, with blood sugar, with, with uh, uric acid. You also wanna make sure that you're hydrating your body really, really well. So drinking a lot of water throughout the day is gonna help your body get rid of excess amounts of uric acid. Um, urinating those, those out. So that's super important. Now, other strategies to control uric acid levels, apple cider vinegar. So adding one teaspoon of raw, organic, unpasteurized apple cider vinegar. So I like the one you know with the mother in the bottom, the Bragg's apple cider vinegar, add that to a glass of water and drink the solution two or three times a day. Apple cider vinegar has acetic acid, glucuronic acid in it. These are postbiotic compounds that um, are very, very supportive for the gut. They help reduce inflammation in the body. They help with the production of short chain fatty acids and they help the body deal. They help the liver deal with uric acid more effectively, help the, help the, the kidneys filter it out and get rid of it. So apple cider vinegar can be really helpful. Lemon juice as well. Lemon juice also has the vitamin C and the bioflavonoids probably works a little bit better even than the apple cider vinegar because it's got bioflavonoids in there. It's got vitamin C in there, and it's also got the citric acid. So squeeze the juice of one lemon into a glass of warm water, drink it in the morning on an empty stomach. Really great way to help reduce uric acid levels. Cherries, right? You can eat a half a cup of cherries daily for a few weeks. However, I will say that the best way to do it is with tart cherry, right? You can do tart cherry juice, right? And I would recommend drinking you know, an ounce or two of tart cherry juice that can be helpful because the tart cherry juice, because it's sour, it has less of the fructose, right? So the, the really ripe cherries um, have higher amounts of fructose, but they also have these anthocyanins in them that have been shown to help reduce uric acid levels. Okay. It's not my main go-to, um, you know, when it comes to reducing uric acid levels, but a lot of people are using tart cherry juice or tart cherry extract as a supplement to help reduce uric acid levels. And it's been shown, it helps, it works. Another strategy is baking soda. Mix a half a teaspoon of baking soda in a glass of water. You can drink up to four glasses daily for two weeks, like drinking it every two to four hours. Now, the thing with baking soda is you never wanna drink this uh, around a meal, right? So don't drink it within an hour of eating food. So that's an hour on the front end or an hour on the back end. All right. So meaning you wouldn't want to drink, if you're going to eat lunch at 12, you don't want to drink baking soda, you know, anytime after 11. And then if you eat lunch at 12 and let's say you finish at 1230, you wouldn't want to consume any baking soda and water until at least 1.30. That way your stomach acid, you don't dilute your stomach acid because baking soda has sodium bicarbonate in it, which is an alkalizing agent. And we need our stomach, our stomach acid levels to be really, really low, right? We need really strong acid in our stomach to be able to metabolize our meal. If we're consuming water with baking soda around the mealtime, 
in, in you know inside of that mealtime, we are going to dilute our stomach acid and we're not going to be able to metabolize our meal effectively. So key things to look out for. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about the importance of vitamin C. We know vitamin C is a critical immune boosting nutrient that most people are deficient in. But did you know that vitamin C is also a very important nutrient for anti-aging? You see, vitamin C is the glue that holds collagen together in your body. Collagen is what makes up your skin, your hair, your nails, your gut lining. If your collagen is weak because you're deficient in vitamin C, then you're going to end up with saggy skin. You're going to end up with more cellulite. You're going to end up with a weak immune system. You're going to end up with age spots on your skin. You're going to end up with more inflammation in your body from leaky gut. And so vitamin C is really critical. But here's the thing. Not all vitamin C supplements are created equal. Most of them are not very bioavailable, and they simply pass through your digestive system, creating expensive urine. However, our friends over at Purality Health have a patented formula that I'm really excited about, and it utilizes something called micelle liposomal technology, which delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream, and it's proven to be 800% more efficient at delivering these nutrients than your standard supplements. So if your skin is looking older than you, and the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, age spots, sagging skin, and otherwise old-looking skin frustrates you, then give Purality Health's MyCell Liposomal Vitamin C a try. It's backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose. You can get your money back if for some reason it doesn't work for you. And today, we have a 30% off coupon just for you. Just visit PurityHealth.com and use the coupon DRJ to access 30% off your purchase today. Again, 180-day money-back guarantee. Just go to PurityHealth.com. Use the coupon code DRJ, just all one word, DRJ, to access 30% off your purchase today. Uh, another key with uric acid levels is optimizing vitamin D. Vitamin D has been shown to have an inverse relationship with uric acid, meaning the better your vitamin D, right? The higher your vitamin D, the lower your uric acid levels. So if you're, you know, optimal in your vitamin D, chances are your uric acid levels are going to be in balance. But if you're not up over 50 nanograms per milliliter in your vitamin D, you should really start taking vitamin D or getting out in the sun more often and doing your best to try to get your vitamin D levels up, your 25-hydroxy vitamin D up over 50 nanograms per milliliter, somewhere between 50 and 100 nanograms per milliliter. So people with lower vitamin D, 20 nanograms per milliliter, associated with higher amounts of uric acid. So, you know, they may end up with six, 6.5, 7.0. Not everybody, but, you know, a lot of people um, that have low vitamin D. And as they start to improve their vitamin D levels, they also notice that their uric acid levels um, improve as well because vitamin D is so important for modulating the immune system. It's like really like a pro-hormone in that it acts on so many different pathways in the body. And uh, it's been shown to help improve uric acid level, uric acid metabolism. Another key thing I like to look at is your plasma zinc and serum copper. We know zinc is an important player as well. People with lower levels of zinc are that's also associated with hyperuricemia. 
And so the tests that I like to look at, because zinc and copper are, are antagonists, meaning that they compete for binding spots. And, you know, if you're supplementing with a lot of zinc or with a lot of copper, they can deplete, you know, the, they can deplete the one that you're not getting enough of. Now, from my experience, most people have plenty of copper and not enough zinc. That's what I'm seeing on labs. And we look at the plasma zinc, the copper, we want our plasma zinc to be roughly 90 to 135 UG per deciliter, serum copper to be 70 to 110. So your zinc to copper ratio should be one to 1.2. So you should have slightly more plasma zinc than serum copper in your blood. Okay. And, and so that's kind of what we're typically looking at. Most of the time I'm seeing more copper than zinc. Now, when we're eating foods, most zinc rich foods also have a lot of copper, right? So if we're eating organ meats, if we're eating grass-fed beef, right? A lot of these higher purine foods also have zinc, right? So if you're on a low purine diet, you're probably not getting a whole lot of zinc. Really the only thing that I can think of, maybe two things that I can really think of on a low purine diet that are high in zinc are going to be eggs. Eggs are a good source. And then also uh, pumpkin seeds. And both of those also have a lot of copper in them. So it may be possible you may need more zinc as far as a supplement, right? So a lot of times hyperuricemia, we're going to supplement zinc to help somebody and, and not a huge dose, maybe like 25 milligrams a day of a good, highly absorbable zinc. So zinc is, is amazing for a number of things, but obviously it works on uh, hyperuricemia, but in general, it promotes a healthy immune response helps reduce viral replication, promotes healthy gene and hormone expression, which is really one of the reasons why it helps reduce uric acid, improves our antioxidant defense system. So we know that when uric acid levels are high, we get high amounts of reactive oxygen species and high amounts of inflammation. So really helps to work on that. Also supports healthy skin. And then quercetin is another great thing to be using. We mentioned that earlier when we were talking about bioflavonoids. It's a powerful bio bioflavonoid that helps with uh, keeping uric acid levels in balance. It also improves, it helps, it acts as a zinc ionophore to pull zinc into the cells more effectively where it can do what it needs to do. And it's also very good for improving histamine. Um, it's an antioxidant in general, supports inflammation. So a lot of good benefits of quercetin. Another thing I like to use is vitamin C. Vitamin C has been shown to help reduce uric acid levels. Just a great antioxidant, supports the immune system, supports the cardiovascular system, the endothelial lining of our blood vessels, antiviral. Um, resveratrol also is really, really good. So, you know, if you're going to choose some level of alcohol, it should be a really, really good quality red wine because that's got some resveratrol in it, although not clinical doses, right? So clinical doses to really bring down hyperuricemia, we want clinical doses of resveratrol, at least hundred milligrams daily. And resveratrol is so powerful for improving mitochondrial function, cellular energy production, improves circulation and cardiovascular health, reduces oxidative stress. So those are my go-tos when it comes to supporting um, uric acid levels, right? As far as supplements, making sure your vitamin D is, is in balance, zinc, quercetin, vitamin C, resveratrol. We talked about tart cherry, possibly tart cherry extract, possibly proteolytic enzymes, especially if you're in like, if you're having gout and you're having a flare of gout, so that, that deep inflammation in the big toe or in the fingers, then using proteolytic enzymes to bring down that inflammation can be really helpful. 
But in general, if you're you know in the first stage or you haven't had gout, but you're dealing with high uric acid levels on labs, getting your diet under control, getting movement in, and then supporting your body with these clinical doses of resveratrol, vitamin C, zinc, quercetin, and vitamin D can all be really, really helpful. N-acetylcysteine as well is another great one uh, that you can use or anything to help support glutathione levels. And I really like our supplement immunocharge because it's got clinical doses of zinc. It's got that 25 milligrams, like I talked about, clinical doses of quercetin, 500 milligrams of that, um, resveratrol, I think it's got 200 milligrams, N-acetylcysteine, it's got vitamin C in it, it's got vitamin D, vitamin K2, it's got 5,000 IUs of vitamin D, 90 micrograms of vitamin K2, which helps recycle calcium and helps support calcium metabolism. So vitamin A in there, selenium, a lot of powerful compounds to support your overall immune system to give your body the best antiviral potential and then help keep, you know, histamine levels under control as well as supporting your uric acid metabolism. So check out the amino charge. And if you go and you find it on our store, use the coupon code immune 30, immune 30, that will save you 30% on the amino charge product. So guys, Check that out. Take advantage of that. It's the best all-around immune support product out there. And if you're dealing with uric acid levels, it's got the support nutrients I already talked about. Vitamin D, zinc, quercetin, uh, resveratrol, and vitamin C all in there. It's also got, again, the N-acetylcysteine in there, which also can be very, very supportive. So check that out. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this training. And we will be back on a future online training. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.